pour yourself a sweet tea, pull up a lawn chair, and turn the page with us. You're listening to Right on Mississippi, a podcast taking you inside the minds of America's most treasured wordsmiths. I'm Ellen Rogers, and Right on Mississippi is produced in partnership with Mississippi Public Broadcasting for the Mississippi Book Festival, the South's Literary Lawn Party. So hey everybody, we are here today with Julia Phillips, and she, her new novel, her debut novel, Disappearing Earth, was just released earlier this month, right? Yeah, a couple couple weeks ago. And I'm going to have to tell you, Julia, I love fiction, but there is truly nothing I love more than a debut novel because they can be so incredible, and this one truly is. Oh. I agree actually with you about not that the that not that it's incredible. I'm gonna leave that Yours judgment is. to you. Yeah. But I love a debut novel too. I love fiction. I love a debut too. They just seem to come out of the gate so excitingly. Well, because people put everything they have into it, and that seems exactly like what you did here. You put everything in it. So I just wanna let me pull up my little guide question because now I'm flustered. <laughs> um so I just I did not know about Kamchatka. I'm saying that correctly, right? I've Kamchatka. 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 Thank you, Kamchatka. You're there. You're totally there. But I have always been fascinated by Russia, and so mm-hmm. I'm a little disappointed in myself, but also pleasantly surprised that I was able to learn about a whole area of Russia that I knew nothing about. And you lived there. I lived there. I lived there for about a year and a half in total. And I hope you won't be disappointed with yourself for just learning about it, because I studied Russian for many years, and there are so many parts of it that I still look at the map and say, oh, what? What, what is that? <laughs> well, it there are is... parts of America I feel that way about, too. I'm for sure. To say. <laughs> for sure. But I find myself often talking about Russia, with my father in particular. We're always just like, you know, they're like us, but they're not. Mm. Russia is so—I mean, the culture is so completely different. So I want to talk to you about how you became interested in Russian culture. I mean, I know that you studied Cyrillic for a while, which I think is incredible. <laughs> they have sounds that we don't even have in English, um, and it's so beautiful, first of all, um, just like the actual written language. So I just I would love for you to just tell us how you started on this and the process you had to go to to get that grant. I know you petitioned for a grant for like two years to be yeah. able to go and live there and just the writing of this book. So, Well, it has a very, very embarrassing origin story, my love of Russia, which is that I— The best had... kind of origin story. <laughs> <laughs> the 12-year-old crush origin story. I had a crush on a Russian-American camp counselor when I was a kid. And after that, everything, you know, totally lost touch with that person. Mm -hmm. But somehow Russian became like really interesting and fascinating and attractive. It is. It is all of those things. And yet somehow I met this person by total happenstance at a moment I was really kind of open to influence and, and eager Mm-hmm. to learn about things, I think. 12-year-olds are yes. extremely influenceable. I always Absolutely. So they're like a memory foam mattress. Yes. They just kind of take on whatever is sat on yes. them. And this was the handprint in the oh. commercial. I mean, this really, like the music I listened to when I was around that age, the books I read, they still stuck around in these big ways. And somehow this kind of Russian influence came in at this moment Yeah, and and stuck. And so... Got imprinted in the memory foam. <laughs> oh, for sure. So have you like read the entire Russian canon? No, I wish I'd read the entire Russian canon. I wish I. But that was is something it. that you can actually do. Oh, you got to spend a lot of time reading to do that. I know, it's but it so is. Much. It's not. But it's not so huge as I would say. Like, you know, the English. I mean, what? I mean, all the countries that speak English. I mean, the Russian canon. It is truly just love. It is centralized in this one area, mm. and. 
you know, you know more about Russia than I do, so I'm going to show. No, up. that's no. I think that's a really interesting point. Yeah, the Russian sphere of influence, at least mm-hmm. recently, has been very much surrounding Russia, former Soviet states, and so it's not like a whole Anglophone world. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I'm sitting here thinking about all of the Russian authors I haven't read and the Russian books I haven't read, and just yeah. thinking like, oh, big or small, it's way more than I can. They always seem like they're enormous, too. Yeah. I feel like they've they've had such a troubled history. They have a lot to talk about. I think they've got that in common with us, too. They've got a lot more history, though. I mean, like, as an official country, it's been going way back. They are an ancient people. Yeah. Yeah, it's an incredible place. Um, And I really wanted to go. I really wanted to go really badly when I was in high school. I started studying Russian, and then I studied it in college. And... Um, studied in Moscow just for a semester. And so I wanted to find some way to go back and and to write because I'd always wanted to be a writer and a novelist. And this is just like you said, a place with an extraordinary literary culture, a place that I wanted to connect to or or write work inspired by. Um, So I started looking for a place to set a story. And when I learned about Kamchatka, Kamchatka is this volcanic peninsula you know all about Kamchatka now. <laughs> oh, I've read, I've read so much. <laughs> but it is, it looks like it's beautiful. It's incredibly beautiful. It's stunningly beautiful. It's like a New Zealand or Iceland. It's this sort of geothermally active region, enormous, that was totally blocked off from outsiders mm-hmm. for almost all of the 20th century because it was a Soviet military base, so it was closed. So no, no foreigners could go there, for example, until the fall of the Soviet Union. And that was so fascinating to me, this extreme transition it had gone through, this incredibly beautiful place that I would look at on Google Images and think, I want to go to there. Yeah. Um, And so I thought, I don't know what story I want to write, but I know I want to write it in this place. And just like you said, I applied for grants for two years to go there. And when I finally got there, I was just, you could have knocked me over. I was, it was just so beautiful. It was so much more beautiful in real life than I had ever even pictures imagined. can never do any. And I, yeah. I'm a photographer saying this. Pictures can never do something <laughs> like that justice. Absolutely, absolutely. The scope of it was just enormous. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I mean, I watched a, um, a, a, a talk that you gave, and you were mm-hmm. describing like the center, yeah. the city center, and like the you have you from New Jersey, and you had never seen anything like it before. Like just those the mountains, they looked like they were like paper cutouts just stacked on top of each other in like a gradient. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I could just, you, the way you write about the cartography of this area, I mean, I can perfectly mm-hmm. see it in my mind. I mean, the writing just about the landscape is astonishing. Um, and all these different, so tell tell the people a little bit about how the book is laid out, because I, you, this is your baby. I want you to tell them yeah. about how the, each chapter is and kind of the premise Absolutely. Of it. Absolutely. I, I love to talk about my baby. <laughs> For sure. Everybody loves to talk about their baby. <laughs> I've got pictures. I got, um, I, so when I came to Russia, I was in this totally new cultural context, but I was bringing to it all of these kind of American concerns and American obsessions. And mm-hmm. one thing, a story that I've always been really compelled by and interested in, the kind of story that we were just talking about, actually, just before we started officially yeah. recording. Oh, yeah. What is a story of violence, especially violence against women and girls, mm-hmm. and what that says about our society or what that says about kind of this larger you know, group that we live in, our community. How does this happen? Mm-hmm. What is so attractive to us about it? 
um, how do people connect to it, maybe in ways that are unanticipated or in ways that mean that they're also hurt or that they're also culpable, responsible for what happened. Um, That's really interesting to me. And so that was like something I brought to there. And when I was there, it was a story that started to take shape. So in this book, In Disappearing Earth, there are two young sisters who are 8 and 11 years old, and they go missing from the city center that you just mentioned in the first chapter. Um, They accept a ride from a stranger, a ride home, and he ends up not taking them home. And every chapter after that moves us a month forward in their search. So the book covers a year in Kamchatka, and it looks at a different woman specifically that is somehow connected to those girls. Sometimes that connection is really direct, like um, the witness to their case or the mother who's waiting for them. And sometimes the connection is really distant. People who maybe don't know the girls, but the girls' disappearance has affected their life somehow, or mm-hmm. it people who look at the girls and think, well, there's an example of what you do if you don't follow the rules or if you don't keep yourself safe or if you, that's what can happen to you. They have nothing to do with me. They're, they're totally different from me. That is interesting to me too. These, these huge ripple effects that go out from an individual act of violence, how they kind of reverberate in our lives in these many different ways. Yeah. And so, and like, and some of the some of the stories are definitely intertwined mm-hmm. because, like, one young girl who is told by her best friend's mother that she can no longer hang out with her because she's a bad influence, and then in a couple chapters later, Valentina, the best friend's mother, is is the character of focus. And um, I mean, just everyone was touched mm-hmm. by this story of these kidnapped girls, and there was also like the natives of this area, and they had had. You know, what they had their own case of someone going missing, and they felt like the police didn't give that the mm-hmm. same attention because they were just the natives and they were like second-class citizens mm-hmm. compared to the white Russians. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was so interesting, their whole perspective of things were the natives. And so can you tell us, I mean, did you, I mean, they do they live in a certain area? Because they kept saying they were like from the north, the north of the peninsula. Yeah. So it, the peninsula is set up in a really interesting way, be, especially because— for the past century, it was so closed profound. off. Yeah, it was so closed off. It was so military, and so much of its funding and kind of infrastructure was built up around the Soviet military. So Kamchatka is a colonized region, a relatively recently colonized region in the history of Russia. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's kind of coloni- colonized by Europeans, like Slavic Russians, around in the 1700s. And since... So these Europeans kind of concentrated around this main port, mm-hmm. this which they made the capital city, Petropavlovsk, Kamchatsky, which is like where, you know, the main city. And then that's where the, the Soviet military base was built up. And so there are a lot of Slavic Russians, you know, white presenting mm-hmm. Russians who live there, um, who were sent there by the military. It's where most of the population in Kamchatka lives at this point. Like more than half of the population of the whole region lives in this one city. And the folks who were, there are some indigenous Kamchatkans Mm -hmm. in that capital city, but there are also a lot of kind of population points that are smaller, like villages Mm -hmm. that have been there for hundreds of years, thousands of years in some areas. 
um, that are kind of scattered through the peninsula. So more northern, more central, some more southern. Yeah. They're not as concentrated, not as clustered heavily around the capital. Yeah. And just like the herding families mm. and stuff. I'm just like, wow. Yeah. That's so far removed from anything I'm familiar with. I mean, they they herd for, you know, the majority of the year and they are just like they're nomadic people. Yeah. Um, I forget the character's name. It was her. She was she was in college. Oh yes, yeah, Susha. She's a I loved her. I, I loved wanted her to too. shake her. Though. <laughs> I wanted to shake her. She's my favorite. Oh yeah. She, she was mm. And, you know, just like the first summer, she actually got to stay home from herding and everything. And I just like, I loved that for her. But I could just, I could picture all of that in my mind about the way that you wrote about it. It was just Mm -hmm. really beautiful. So I would just imagine that you've had to have had a strong relationship with literature your entire life. So tell me about some books. Tell me about some of the, like the books in your formative years that really Mm -hmm. shaped who you are as a writer. Well, Which is an incredible writer. Oh, thank I might you. Add. I mean, like, this is, I mean, I've really been blown away. I've been hearing buzz about it for like two months. Everybody at Lemuria Bookstore has been reading it. And I was just like, y'all give me an advanced reader copy already. <laughs> that makes me so happy. I, you know, I love you're saying that because I always feel like I'm not reading enough. Like I'm not well-read enough. I try to read as much as I can, but there's so much good stuff out there, there and it, so much I've missed. Oh, I, I think about something I've been thinking about a lot lately is when I was growing up, I've been thinking about that kind of pull toward toward stories of darkness, stories of violence, mm-hmm. stories of people being hurt, and why that is so engaging and exciting and also kind of um, titillating. You know, I, I'm the, just like, I have this morbid curiosity yeah, exactly. about all that. And what is that all about? Where does that come from? And I've been thinking a lot about um, when I was really little, all these... I had this book of Grimm's fairy tales that I would read obsessively, and it was so violent. <laughs> Which are, they are horrifying <laughs> if you don't have like the ones that are, you know, kind of like diluted. Kind of, exactly, I mean, right. they are really terrifying. They're really people are chopping off their limbs. People are like being put in iron shoes and yeah, dancing to exactly death. Right, <laughs> exactly right. And I've been thinking of, about that as mm-hmm. as this really kind of fundamental these fundamental stories that we have that are Mm -hmm. told to us over and over again that teach us lessons about violence and lessons about how to be good or how to keep yourself safe or being deserving of being protected is very interesting to me because certainly in the book, for example, um, the girls, the sisters who go missing in the beginning of the book are are white. Mm -hmm. They're ethnic Russians and their case is taken up by mostly ethnic Russian Mm -hmm. media in the city in this way. Like, they are the perfect victims. That's how they're presented. Absolutely. They're very young. They're very Mm innocent-seeming. And they're allowed to be innocent and pure and um, focused upon in a way that so many other people in their community are not allowed that space. Yeah. And, And I've been, yeah, so I've been thinking about fairy tales and that. And that's, but when I was growing up, I loved... When I was really little, I loved like Roll Doll and all those kind oh. of wild. <laughs> I love that reaction. Yes, <laughs> the BFG and the oh witches. Oh my god, the witches absolutely drove me mad. I was obsessed. I was also obsessed with Matilda. Matilda was talk oh. about never feeling well read enough. Matilda was from the earliest age the role model of. Oh, for sure. Just the brainiac reader. Yeah, I just absolutely loved her. And then 
growing up, I started reading a lot of of people that I really love now are Alice Monroe, Louise Erdrich, who I think is oh. one of the greatest. I mean, I feel we're so lucky to be living in her age. Yeah. Um, I was very, very into Joyce Carol Oates' kind of writings about propulsive violence, yeah. which is... <laughs> yeah. How many times can I say the word violence? But but we are so drawn to it. And I yes. feel like women especially have a very yeah. intense fascination with it. I think it's... I think a lot of that is because... Here's my theory. I'm going to test it out on you, okay? Go for it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> my theory these days is that we... Women and folks who are marginalized mm-hmm. um, were presented all the time with the real-life threat of harm. Exactly. And all the time you have to be negotiating, how do I keep myself safe? Can I keep myself safe? Mm-hmm. Is there anything I can do? Um, is this world fundamentally and unpredictably dangerous to me? Yeah. And and we have to live with the fact all the time that, yes, it is. It, yeah. Like, it is unpredictably dangerous. Um, Absolutely. Other people have power over you and they can use that power to hurt you. Mm-hmm. And then when we read or we consume media, or we watch TV, we watch movies, it's very predictable and it's very controlled. And if it's too much, you can turn it off. Mm-hmm. And watching it or reading it is this way to to keep ourselves safe or to remind ourselves, like, I am in control in this moment. Mm-hmm. I I can be, even though I'm listening to this scary thing, I don't have to be too scared. I don't have to be out of control. Yeah. The girls in the book, the sisters in the book, they they play with that in the very first chapter. Yeah. They tell one tells the other a, a scary story. Um, yes, about to, the, the yeah, tsunami. About a tsunami that <laughs> yeah, hit Kamchatka, which was very scary. Which is very scary, and she's doing it to scare her sister, to mm-hmm. scare her little sister. And she has fun doing it, and her little sister has a little bit of fun doing it too. This is thrilling. Yes. Yeah. And and it's not real or if it was real it's not happening to them right then and so there's a comfort in that and then right after that unfortunately the fear becomes real for them and they're no longer in control and they're no longer kind of the storytellers of their own fear now they're in somebody else's power yeah i think that switch is something that certainly women that but so many of us grapple with every day. Absolutely. And I feel like us taking in all these stories of violence, it also kind of like validates all these things that mm. we've heard and we've told ourselves and we've had told us that, you know, you need to be careful yeah. where you go and all this kind of stuff. And you're like, this this can happen. Yes. Um, but you're like, but it's not happening to me right now. So you're, there's like this also wash of relief, even though it is completely yeah. horror inducing. It kind of organizes the world a little bit. It does. And so you yeah. see like there are the bad things that are happening. Here are the good things that are happening. Mm-hmm. When I listen to it or when I learn about it, I can make sense of it and maybe I can protect myself. Exactly. Which is kind of, I think, a, a fool's errand, but it's one I like to... <laughs> it's one I indulge in yes. pretty much every day. Yeah, exactly right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, any sort of TV show kind of yeah. about that, I mean, I'm like glued to it. Yeah, totally. Um, podcast, obviously. Absolutely. Um, books. Um, so let me let me pull up my little list again. I've got all <laughs> kinds of little things I want to talk to you about. Um, are there any t- sort of books that you like try to avoid? Is mm-hmm. there any sort of subject matter that's kind of like off limits? Like as a reader? Yeah. That's a really good question. I don't think – I think increasingly now I try to read every single thing that interests me in any way. Yeah. I, I – 
I think I went through a period, especially kind of like in and after high school, where mm-hmm. I felt like I should only read the canon. I should only like read the things that are classics and I shouldn't read things that are um, juicy or exciting or or genre, for yeah. example. Like I was very I made some rule for myself that I wasn't gonna read any genre fiction. Yeah. And that was <laughs> That was that was hard. <laughs> it was, and it was silly and it was I think robbing myself of an education as as a reader, as a writer, mm-hmm. as a person to there are so many different stories that are so engaging for so many different reasons and how foolish it would be to not pursue those or engage in those or or get excited by them. Exactly. I mean, like they're so fundamentally exciting and so I'm trying to read everything these days. Um, I'm reading a lot of free romance novels on Apple Books, which is <laughs> sometimes a you lot. want something kind of mindless it's and just fun. Yeah, and honestly, the fun of it is propulsive and surprising and smart and mm-hmm. all these things that I never um, let myself think were possible because I wanted to only read what was assigned to me or what people told me. You know, this is fancy. This is worthwhile. Yeah, I. Do find I try to avoid books where I feel like I've I've heard it before, mm-hmm. or um, I I don't want to read a story that feels like repetition to me. Yeah, but that's across every genre. I mean, that's in literary fiction. That's in the classic. That's in everything. I don't want to. Absolutely. I I'd like to I like to read as a way to um, explore worlds that are new to me or perspectives that are new to me. Exactly. As long as they bring something kind of interesting to the table, yeah. I'm, like, I'm there for it. I mean, yeah. it doesn't have to be the most hooty-tooty, you know, piece of literature that was ever no written. Way. I mean, sometimes that's, I'm, that's not what I'm in the mood for. No, I feel like it can be the back of a cereal box. Like, if it's got something to teach me, I'm, I want I'm, I'm there for yeah. that. Yeah. And so what I, was, what I was thinking when I was reading your book, and I mean, this this is like a hot... There, it is literary, but it pulls you forward. Mm. I mean, like it, you know, it's one of those things that like you do not want to put down. I mean, it's, I would say it's a literary thriller, but I don't want to make that sound like diminish it in any way. It just, I had to know. I had to keep going. I'm going to tell you, I'm going to interrupt you to say that makes me really happy because literary thriller is my favorite. That's what's like, that's the dream. Good. Perfect. (laughs) Because that is, that is what I was thinking of in the last book I read that I felt like that about was Peter Heller's book, The River. Mm. I could not. I mean, I was just like, I've got to know. Yeah. Yeah. Have you read that? No. And I'm like dying to. I it's by it's from the same publisher. I have been seeing that beautiful cover everywhere beautiful. I look. And I'm just waiting and waiting and waiting, <laughs> I'm like grabbing onto it with both hands, waiting to read this book. I cannot wait. He is such an incredible writer. Mm-hmm. And, I, you know, I met him a couple months ago and I expected him to be so serious and just kind of, just like this serious author type. Yes, I mean, he yes. was the goofiest, <laughs> most delightful person. I mean, he like laughed at himself like all the time. And he has the most hysterical laugh, like goofy laugh. <laughs> and I was just, he was such a delight and a surprise. And so anytime I see, this is terrible. Huh. I'm like categorizing like books. But when I see Knopf, I'm like, oh, well, that's good. Mm. I mean, do you Me feel, <laughs> I mean, I'm like, well, kind of, it's published by Knopf, so it's going to be good. Do you feel, I mean, what an honor was that for you? 
I yes, all I can do is just shake my head in agreement. I it every I have worked hard in the past couple of years to meet other writers and, mm-hmm. and kind of read about other writers' experiences. I, I've always had this dream of of having a book published, you know, publishing a book. And and so I wanted to learn about it as much. And so I read everything online. And, and everyone talks, of course, everyone talks about, you know, the feeling of when the dream becomes reality and, yeah. and there are compromises. And, and realistically, not everything is going to be as perfect as you imagine it might be. And... And so I have been practicing for the past few years, like, okay, not everything's going to be perfect. So I swear to you, like, this has been perfect. <laughs> they're, That's awesome. They're incredible. They're incredible. Yeah. They have given, the editorial process was incredible. Yeah. The fact that I'm here right now is incredible, and that's through their support. Every other book they publish is amazing. It. I feel so lucky i know i'm so lucky to be with them to yeah. be in their hands i, I mean because they do not play around no i mean they i mean they're they are the real freaking deal i mean like that that's as high up as it gets yeah. for me in my opinion so i mean i'm right there with you i'm right there with you well, i'm just thrilled me. for you <laughs> um what do you want people to take away from this book especially people who are not familiar with russia i think there are two things, and one's kind of like a subset of the other. Mm-hmm. What I want people to take away from this book, I want people to read this book and be engaged by it. And I, I, my dream is for everyone to have the reaction that you had, that it was, they're kind of pulled through it and yep, they yeah. are excited by it. And that when they finish it, I would want, I hope that someone would think not, this is a story that happened to someone somewhere else, this faraway place, but mm-hmm. like, this is resonant with my experience. This is set in Russia, but it feels to me like home. It feels familiar and true and resonant. That is what I would really hope a reader, that's the feeling I hope a reader would have. And as a subset of that, I wrote this book, The why it's structured through so many different characters, through why it switches kind of point of view mm-hmm. characters every month is to explore the range of violence in our lives. That violence or harm or hurt doesn't just look like um, an abduction of a child by a stranger, yeah. which is so rare, so rare mm-hmm. and spectacularly kind of publicized and Absolutely. fawned over when it happens. But it can also look like a toxic relationship. It can look like a hurt from a friend. It can look like... Um, losing control of a medical appointment. It can look like so many different things. And I want the book to explore and tease out how those harms are happening every day and how they're related to each other and how the rare ones and the common ones, they don't exist in different universes. They're connected. And And I would hope, I would really hope that folks would finish this book and feel that feel some sort of like I see now that the spectacular violence in the news is not so different from me not so separate from me and has something to do with my everyday life and my everyday actions that's I think the dream yeah it's everyone's struggle is their struggle and it is not diminished by the fact that there may be more horrible things happening to other people um and our struggles are connected to each other for sure 
Yeah. Absolutely. So, I mean, I'm so happy you have come, and I hope that you are just enjoying this incredible ride you're on right now. I mean, the rave reviews, it's just been, it's been really incredible to watch because, you know, I, I, I catch a lot of these, you know, a couple certain authors, and then I just kind of like watch how it unfolds. And this has been really amazing to watch unfold, and I'm just thrilled for you, and we are thrilled for you here. And, uh-huh. um, and so glad and so honored that you have come on this podcast with, you know, to kind of chew away with me. So we want to thank everybody. Uh, We want to thank everybody for listening and thank Julia Phillips for joining us today. Be sure to visit your local bookstore and pick up her incredible new book, Disappearing Earth. Uh, Once again, Ride on Mississippi is produced in partnership with Mississippi Public Broadcasting for the Mississippi Book Festival and the South Literary Lawn Party. Thank you so much, Julia. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. Absolutely.